You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast at savage.love. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, Meat is a problem. It's a problem for our bodies, which can't handle the amount of meat we're all shoving down our throats. And it's a problem for the planet, which can't handle the amount of meat we're producing on it to meet our insatiable demand for all that meat we're shoving down our throats. Before I go any further, I'm not judging anyone. I literally just had a ham sandwich before I sat down to record. I'm having leftover turkey for dinner tonight. I am part of the meat problem. And it is a problem. Agriculture, the food business, accounts for 35% of greenhouse gas emissions, which we have to get down, or not to put too fine a point on it, we're all going to die. And meat production represents more than half of that total. 60% of the greenhouse gases produced by farms, by farming, by big ag and small ag comes from raising meat. For carnivores like me, and statistically speaking, on average, like you. Shortwave, the daily science podcast from NPR, recently covered a potential fix for our collective addiction to meat. Host Aaron Scott interviewed NPR health correspondent Allison Aubrey on a meat substitute that's technically, at least at a cellular level, still meat. So now there's growing interest in a very new way to produce meat without slaughtering animals. So you're not talking here about making plants taste like meat, which is to say like the Beyond Burger and Impossible Burgers. You're actually talking about animal meat, but without the animals. That's right. And I talked to the founder of a company that's a leading startup in this space. His name is Dr. Uma Valetti, and he's a cardiologist. And more than 15 years ago, he had this kind of eureka moment when he realized that it could be possible to extract cells from animals and grow meat directly from those cells. He got the idea when he was working at the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota, and he was working with heart attack patients. We were working on stem cells. We were taking stem cells from patients who had a very large heart attack. We would isolate the types of cells that will grow into heart muscle, and I would re-inject them into the patient's heart again. You know, he figured if it was possible to use cells to help grow muscle in the human heart, it would also be possible to use animal cells to grow meat. Once it got into my head, it was nearly impossible to get it out. Dr. Valetti got funding, created a startup in the Bay Area where there are tanks right now in a 70,000 square foot facility. Tanks filled with cells that are replicating and growing into meat, into muscle which is then harvested and molded into familiar meat-like shapes, breasts, loins, nuggets. The process is revolting and fascinating, but no more revolting than industrial meat production. But how are the results? Aubrey didn't just report this story out, she ate it out. I actually did get to taste it, and I got to talk to Daniel Davila. He's the senior food scientist for product development at Upside Foods. He prepared us a dish. It's our chicken filet, which is going to be served with a white wine butter sauce. He pan-seared the chicken filet. You get this kind of really nice Maillard browning that you see there. Mm, oh, yeah. I'm really starting to get that sense of meat is being cooked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then he plates the dish. All right, please enjoy. It really is delicious. I'm not sure if I'm tasting the butter wine sauce or if I'm tasting the upside chicken. Now, if you're me, and I wouldn't wish that fate on anyone, but if you're me and you'd been doing what I've been doing for as long as I've been doing it, you heard that story and thought about the climate, because of course you did, because it was a story about climate change. And maybe you thought a little bit about the amount of animal suffering that could be eliminated if we only needed a few cells taken from one chicken to produce hundreds of thousands of tons of vat-grown meat indistinguishable from meat cut from an actual chicken. That wasn't discussed in the story, animal suffering, the suffering we inflict on animals who become our ham sandwiches. But if you're me, in addition to climate change and animal suffering, you also thought... This is good news for Army Hammer and other wannabe cannibals who don't want to be criminals. Because if you can grow chicken meat in a lab, in a vat, chicken meat that's indistinguishable from chicken meat cut off an actual chicken, 
You can make human meat in a lab too, with a couple of cells. You can grow human nuggets in the same lab using the same vats where they're currently growing chicken nuggets right now. It's a terrible thing to contemplate, I realize, so please forgive me for forcing you to contemplate it. The taboo against cannibalism, which I fully endorse. The taboo against humans eating other humans is strong. And it's a taboo, you know, at the bottom because it's harmful. You can't eat human meat without killing humans and humans aren't supposed to kill humans. Thou shalt not and all that. But if someone were to donate their cells and if no humans were harmed or harvested in the production of human meat, would it be good enough for cannibals? Surprisingly, it might be. When we think of famous cannibals, we think of your Hannibal Lecter's charming and fictional and your Jeffrey Dahmer's repulsive and all too real. But most cannibals apparently don't want to hurt anyone. Dr. Victoria Hartman, profiled in GQ, is the author of I Love Dead People, Inside the Minds of Death Fetishists. And she told GQ in a story about Army Hammer that most people with cannibalism kinks weren't just not happy about the kink they were assigned at puberty. But most she found, quoting from the piece now, most she found didn't have any actual desire to hurt anyone, which they all went out of their way to make clear. They didn't have a desire to act out anything with an unwilling partner. When it comes to cannibalism fetishes, the unwilling partner bar used to be set pretty high. You had to find somebody who wanted you to eat some or all of them, which a person can't legally consent to. But now you just need to find someone who's willing to let you swab their cheek. Anyway, it's an interesting listen. Alison Aubrey's reporting for Shortwave, NPR's daily science podcast. And if you're not me and you already heard it, you probably got all the way through the piece without thinking about rich and famous cannibals. And if you aren't me and you haven't already heard it and you decide to go listen to it now, you won't be able to listen to it without thinking about cannibals. Because like the doctor said, Once it got into my head, it was nearly impossible to get it out. All right, I want to end on something that might restore your faith in humanity and your faith in your sex advice podcast host before we start the show. Not all heroes have capes. Some have wings. Go read Ellie Fishman's piece for WBEZ on an organization called Elevated Access out of Illinois. It's a volunteer group founded and managed by hobby pilots, mostly men, mostly white. And this group of white guys, they're donating their time, their money, and their aircraft to fly women from red states where they can't get abortions to blue states where they can. They are flying women from states where women are second-class citizens to states where women still have autonomy over their bodies. And these guys, these hobby pilots, are operating in what may be a legal gray area at some risk to themselves. The piece is titled, In Post-Row America, Pilots Take the Abortion Battle to the Skies. It came out on Tuesday right after two mass shootings and right before Thanksgiving. Kind of got lost in the news cycle. You might have missed it. Definitely worth your time. Go find it. Go read it. All right, coming up on the Micro Savage Lovecast, tons of your Q, lots of my A. And on the Magnum Trans writer, an activist or advocate, one or the other or both, Evan Urquhart joins me to give some advice to a gay man who wants to fuck trans men. Wanting to fuck trans people is good, of course, but being a chaser is bad. How can you make sure you're not a chaser? And how can trans men chaser-proof their love lives? That's on the Magnum Savage Lovecast that you can subscribe to right now, if you haven't already, at savage.love. And in Savage Love this week, it's our monthly quickies column. In this month's quickies, I refuse, perhaps controversially, to use a pronoun I was ordered to use. You can find out why when you read my new column up now at savage.love slash savagelove. This episode is brought to you by Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill. Rocket Money is the easiest way to manage your expenses, cancel unwanted subscriptions, lower your monthly bills, and track your spending all in one place. Go to rocketmoney.com slash savage. This episode is brought to you by Dear Headspace, an original podcast from Headspace. Here, meditation teachers counsel real folks with real problems. Search for Dear Headspace in your podcast player. And if you want a 30-day free trial for Headspace, go to www.headspace.com slash podcast. This episode of Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Talkspace, online therapy that makes it easy to get extra mental health support. 
For $100 off your first month, go to Talkspace.com and use the offer code SAVAGE. Hi, I was having sex with my partner and he was inside me and he had stopped moving and still inside me and it was like, I felt like, and then he was heavy breathing, I was heavy breathing, we felt this really intense explosion and I like wasn't coming he wasn't coming and we were, he was like nibbling and like kissing my neck and my ear. And it was just like really fucking crazy. And I like, don't, okay. I get there's other things like, you know, it could be spiritual. It could be like just this intense passion. I'm trying to figure it out. Like, I don't know really what to research online, like what this feeling was. And it might've been me coming, but like, like a whole body love orgasm or whatever but like i don't really get it sounds like an orgasm to me sounds like you had with your boyfriend during penetrative sex he was nibbling your neck at the same time sounds like you had a really intense orgasm and that's amazing that's awesome you know we don't want to rank orgasms. An orgasm is an orgasm is an orgasm, but sometimes you can have an orgasm when it feels like, or you are firing on all cylinders and it kind of kicks it all up a notch. And it could be, you know, emotionally, you're super connected to your boyfriend at this time during intercourse. And coincidentally, everything physically fell into place in such a way that it just kind of fried your circuit board and elevated that orgasm to a place that your other orgasms hadn't quite gotten to yet. Now that you know what that feels like, seems to me that you could do a little inventory and try to figure out everything that was going on at that moment and try to replicate that. I think you're going to want to try to replicate that. And you can replicate that may have also involved breathing. Were you breathing deeply uh, in a way that you don't usually? Was there a longer ramp up? Did you spend more time uh, before you approached? I'm going to say it. Get your bingo cards out. The point of orgasmic inevitability. Sometimes if you're on that plateau longer, if you really are, even during intercourse, even with a partner, in a sense, being edged or edging yourself when you finally, once again, get that bingo card out, reach the point of orgasmic inevitability, also known as start to go over the falls. Yeah, it can be, it can feel more intense. It can feel really ramped up. And I think that's a far likelier explanation than you suddenly hit some spiritual plane that you weren't on before. So good for you. Congratulations. You discovered, you stumbled into the awareness, as so many of us do, that your orgasms can be more intense than you previously were aware. That's a good thing. That's a good thing. And now you and your boyfriend should get busy trying to replicate that thing. Hi, Dan. I'm in something new with someone, and we have begun to tell each other our fantasies. I have come across an interesting dilemma where he has been sharing fantasies with me. And some of his fantasies involve things that I probably won't ever do, that some things maybe I'm just too uncomfortable with or I just don't trust them enough to do yet. Um, and it would probably take a lot of time for me to warm up to if I even do them. My question is, is it GGG for me to listen to the fantasy, thank him for sharing it with me, you know, role play with him in the fantasy possibly if I felt like it, or does it make more sense for me in that moment to share with him that certain things I'm uncomfortable with, you know, in that moment? Or do I just let him share, be open about it, be accepting, and then later on, when it comes time to discuss like our harder limits, then bring up what I'm uncomfortable with. If the answer is no, say no. Don't say, oh, that's probably something I might not be comfortable doing. Not now, not until maybe I know you better. And not even then, I don't know if I would be comfortable. No, don't equivocate. If his fantasies 
which he's entitled to and no shame. People don't choose their kinks. People don't choose their fantasies. If his fantasies, experiences he might want to have, fantasies he might want to realize aren't things that you would ever be comfortable doing with him or anyone else, no matter how well you know that guy, tell him. That doesn't mean he isn't allowed to have those fantasies. It doesn't mean he's a bad person for having those fantasies. It doesn't mean if you two should wind up in a relationship that you would shame him for finding some outlet for those fantasies, whether it's you know porn or a reasonable accommodation that's mutually acceptable. You know, he's into a certain kind of bondage or kink and you wouldn't have a problem with him going to a play party every once in a while or seeing a dominatrix to get those particular yah-yahs out. That could be a reasonable accommodation. But if you want a sexually exclusive relationship, then the reasonable accommodation would maybe be fantasy and porn. Now, when someone draws you out, when someone says, tell me your fantasies, it's shitty for that someone to spin on their heel and go, ew, yuck, no, never, gross. I think in that moment, particularly if the person is aroused, you don't have to say anything that commits you to acting on a fantasy that you may be bumping on as you're hearing about it for the first time. But if you're sharing fantasies, not in a contract negotiation style, but in a, you know, you're dirty talking with each other, laying around, maybe even having sex, yeah, you don't want to shut that down in a way that seems cruel. You don't want to shut that down in a way that the other person is likely to feel duped or foolish for having shared that fantasy with you, for having made themselves vulnerable in that way that you asked them or invited them to make themselves vulnerable. So your impulse there, I think, is correct. You know, if you're sharing your fantasies with each other, at a moment when you're being intimate or you're turned on and there's no expectation of pivoting to acting on the fantasies in that moment, yeah, just allow them to spin it out. Allow them to be as aroused as they're going to be. Maybe even, you know, if you're engaged in mutual masturbation at that moment, let them get off, help them get off. And then later, when you're not being sexual with each other, then you can have a conversation about what you may or may not be up for, what they can reasonably expect from you. And again, please, if the answer is no, say no. Make it a no. Make it direct, clear, not shaming, not kink shaming, not judgmental. You can say no. There's nothing anti-GGG about being clear about your limits and your boundaries. This episode is supported by Dear Headspace, an original podcast from Headspace. Have you ever wished you had a wise meditation teacher on speed dial? Someone you could call when things get tough? Welcome to Dear Headspace, a podcast where you can ask anything. Each week, co-host Robin Hopkins sits down with a rotating cast of Headspace meditation teachers and mindfulness experts. Together, they respond to voicemails from listeners and guide them through life's trials and tribulations. I checked out an episode of Dear Headspace and thought some of you would really enjoy it. Like my show, you get to listen to callers' questions with their problems, but unlike me, a fag with a microphone, they are answered by meditation teachers. So the advice is different, but wise and worthwhile. Search for Dear Headspace in your podcast player. We'll also include a link in the show notes. Many thanks to Dear Headspace for their support of the Savage Lovecast. If you want a 30-day free trial for Headspace, go to www.headspace.com slash podcast. Hey, Dan, Nancy, and the Tech Savvy at Risk Youth. I'm a bi woman in her 30s on the West Coast. I started dating a cis man three months ago, and I really like him a lot. I care about him deeply in a really unique way and feel emotionally and sexually compatible with someone, maybe for the first time ever. He is a young child, and that takes up a lot of his time. I support him wanting to show up for his kid, and I'm comfortable with the fact that I'll never be his first priority, as this was very clear from the start. The problem is that he had the child non-consensually, and is what you also might call a pud, parent under duress. His ex was emotionally abusive and told him she was taking birth control when she wasn't. Now, because he cannot afford an attorney, in order to see his child, he has to see his ex nearly every day and comply with her terms. He goes to her house nearly every morning and evening to take care of the child and clean her house. 
He lives in fear of her revoking his ability to see his child, or that she'll harm the child. During the pregnancy, she frequently threatened to harm herself, and now she continues to make threats when she gets overwhelmed. The stress makes it difficult for him to have much emotional bandwidth outside obliging her, and his concern about making money means he needs to spend most of his free time looking for work. It's caused a lot of tension between us, because his availability is very limited. Even so, our relationship has meant a lot to me. He always makes me laugh, I'm deeply attracted to him, we have similar interests and compatible kinks, and I just generally love spending time with him and want him to be happy. Things came to a head recently when I got a job at a store that he visits occasionally with his ex and child. He made a comment that it would be awkward if they came in when I was working, and that he wouldn't want me to feel like, quote, the other woman, unquote. My first reaction was to say that I wouldn't want to do anything to cause trouble for him. But over several days, it started to really bother me. I couldn't understand why he wouldn't just be able to introduce me as his girlfriend, as he and his ex had been separated for three years. When I brought it up to him, he said that he owes her so much money that she would be angry that he was spending time dating when he should have been working. He said he's concerned for his child's safety and well-being, and telling her about us might make her spin out or prevent him from seeing his child, because they don't have a legal agreement. I feel really uncomfortable with this. I am not the other woman, and told him I have nothing to hide and that I feel proud to be with him. I don't mind being alone, but I really like him and I don't want to lose him. Still, I know that I'm valuable, and I don't feel valued within these circumstances. So what should I do? Should I walk away? Listening to your question, I was reminded of a passage from Gabriel Blair's new book. Gabriel Blair, author, she was a guest on the Savage Lovecast very recently. She writes in Ejaculate Responsibly, Ultimately, only the man decides where his sperm ends up. No matter what a woman lets a man do, she can't legally make a man ejaculate inside of her. When he does, that's 100% his doing. We know this is true because if she let him put his penis in a waffle iron, he wouldn't. If someone tells you to do an irresponsible thing, Blair writes, and you choose to do that irresponsible thing, that's on you. Your boyfriend tells you that his ex lied to him about using birth control. He still chose to ejaculate inside her. That was an irresponsible thing for him to do, as I'm sure he's now painfully aware. He is, as you say, a pud, a parent under duress. There are definitely puds out there, parents under duress out there in post-Roe America. Even in Roe America, most people who are parents under duress are women, but there are definitely men out there who have children, children that they didn't want, children that I don't want to say they were tricked into having. They chose, as Gabriel Blair writes, to ejaculate irresponsibly into a woman that they thought they could trust, often into women that they didn't know well, very occasionally into women who were their spouses when they should have been ejaculating into condoms or ejaculating after the vasectomy that they could have gotten or engaging in the pullout method and not ejaculating inside at all. As for the rest of your question, as for the real thrust of your question, should you run? I think you should. I definitely think you should. You've only known this man for three months and this sounds like such a messy, chaotic situation. If indeed it is as he tells you it is, his ex is unstable, threatens to harm herself, threatens to harm their child. They do not have any sort of legal agreement and yet he somehow owes her a lot of money. This is just, and also his ex is so irrational and angry. And again, you only have his word to go on here that knowing, even though they've been officially broken up or so he tells you for three years, knowing that he's dating someone else could cause her to fly off the handle and not allow him to see the child that she essentially manipulates him with, takes him hostage with, the child she threatens to harm. Ugh. That's all shit he needs to straighten out before he starts to date anyone else. It is not fair of him if indeed everything is as he says that it is. And I keep hammering away at that point because I have my doubts. He needs to figure that shit out. He needs to get a lawyer. He needs to document his ex's threats of self-harm, particularly her threats to harm their child. 
and sue for custody. Do something about this. Protect his kid from his ex. And if he can't do that or won't do that, why would you want to date him? Why would you want to date a guy who would leave his child in harm's way if indeed his ex is who he says that she is and does what he says that she does? Why would, if this is how he fails to protect the child that he claims to love, why would you want to be in a relationship with him? Wouldn't he ultimately fail you? In the same way, hasn't he already kind of sort of failed you just three months in by prioritizing this woman's feelings over yours? So tell him, look, I think you're a great guy. I've only known you for a few months, but I could definitely see dating you. I would like to be your girlfriend, but not under these conditions. You've got some shit to figure out with your ex. You should probably get a job not to pay your ex back the money that you owe her, but to hire a lawyer and to sue your ex for custody or hammer out in court an enforceable custody agreement so that you can protect your kid and that you have the freedom to date who you like and start a new relationship if that's something that you want. Go figure that shit out and then give me a call. This episode is brought to you by Talkspace. Holidays are great. I love holidays, but man, they can be stressful. You can take charge of your life and enjoy the holidays more when you embrace therapy. Talkspace offers both therapy and psychiatry from the comfort of your phone, and you can reach out to your provider anytime. It's a little like having a mental health professional in your pocket. Whether you're stuck with problematic in-laws, stuck in the office over the holidays, or traveling, taking care of your own mental health has never been easier. I wholeheartedly recommend therapy on this podcast all the time, and I support using Talkspace to get yourself the therapy that you need. You can sign up online and get a personalized match with a provider that's right for you, typically within 48 hours. You can text, video, or send voice messages to your licensed therapist. So it's really convenient. You can have virtual sessions from the comfort of your home on your schedule. Talkspace has thousands of licensed therapists with years of experience and over 40 specialties, including depression, anxiety, substance abuse, LGBTQ issues, anger management, relationship issues, food, eating, and so much more. And as a listener of this podcast, you'll get $100 off your first month with Talkspace. To match with a licensed therapist today, go to Talkspace.com. Make sure to use the code SAVAGE to get $100 off your first month and show your support for the show. That's SAVAGE at Talkspace.com. Hey, Dan, I just had a night terror and scared away this guy. So the backstory is we have known each other for 10 years. We would see each other at festivals. For the past five years, we would visit each other at each other's cities. If we were in town, we live about five hours apart from each other. And we were seeing each other as friends until about a year ago. um, And we slept together. And he was in town yesterday, and I told him I wasn't up for sex, but I would be up for a rope scene, which we had talked about doing before. So um, he came over, he tied me up with rope, I went deep into subspace. Afterwards, he gave me really good feedback about how much he enjoyed it and how he hadn't had an opportunity to be a dom for a really long time and um, how lucky he felt. So then we we made out and we cuddled and um, it, it seemed all good. So I set him up on the couch, I put earplugs in and we went to bed. Then at 3.30 in the morning, I am having a nightmare. And I, I remember this now. I like sleepwalk out of my bed and into the main area and I see him on the couch. And then I go back to my room and I remember turning on the light, which I've trained myself to do to wake myself up. And I am totally embarrassed. I'm like, oh my God, I hope he didn't see me. I hope I didn't wake him up. I'm just going to go back to bed. So I go back to bed. Then uh, 10 minutes later, I hear something and I get up and I see that he has left with all of his stuff. So I check my phone and he texted, hey, you had a night terror. I called out after you, but you did not respond. So I left. 
So this is now 3.45 a.m. I call him and I apologize profusely. And he just seems annoyed and wants to get off the phone. But he did give me a little bit more information. He said that I was screaming, no, no, no. And um, he just seemed to want to get on the road. Um, uh, he was going to be driving the five hours. So um, I let him go. So I don't know if I was screaming that like in my bedroom or out in the main area. But so I understand that this was his natural reaction and he needed to leave and he didn't feel comfortable staying. And at the same time, I kind of felt abandoned and maybe that's not appropriate to feel. I also feel like shame and guilt and like I want to make it up to him, but I also kind of feel like I don't want to see him again because I would have really appreciated it if he had said like anything comforting at all. (laughs) So what do you think? Oh, and I also, like, I will try to do better on my sleep. I've had a sleep study. I've tried to work on my sleep. It's a long-term issue, but I didn't realize it was this bad. So after your bondage scene, he came through with the aftercare. You cuddled and you made out a little bit and then you went to bed in your bedroom. He went to bed on the couch. And then you scared the shit out of him at three o'clock in the morning. You came out of your room screaming, no, 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 at the top of your lungs. And then you went back into your room and went back to sleep. And then you called him. When you realized that he left, you called him and he's he hasn't slept. You scared the shit out of him. He's driving home. Okay, so he didn't come through with the right words. He didn't at that moment comfort you. Seems to me that since you scared the shit out of him, if the comfort was going to be flowing in one direction or another, it should have been flowing from you to him. This is something you know about yourself, that you sometimes have night terrors, that you sometimes sleepwalk. Had you told him that that is a thing that sometimes happens, I think that's a thing that you need to give anybody sleeping over in your apartment a heads up about. And I can understand why a man might be wary of spending the rest of the night in an apartment where a woman was just screaming no, no, no at the top of her lungs, not because he was attacking her, but because she was having a nightmare. He didn't know if that was going to happen again. He didn't know if the police were on their way to your apartment because a neighbor heard you screaming, no, 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 at the top of your lungs. I think you scared the shit out of him. I would have had the shit scared out of me in that circumstance. Maybe by the time I was in the car and, you know, a half an hour away, I could have laughed about it or, you know, told the person who scared the shit out of me whose apartment I fled in the middle of the night not to worry about it and they didn't do anything wrong and thank you for calling. But he might have been exhausted and the cortisone might have still been pumping through his veins. So I think he gets the pass here. I think if you know, you've been friends for 10 years, you've been fucking around for a year, It's a lot to throw away because you didn't get precisely the reaction you would hope to get after getting this person on the phone after they fled your apartment in the middle of the night, after you walked into the room where they were sleeping, screaming no, no, no at the top of your lungs. Circle back to him. Be generous. Apologize. Tell him that maybe you should have warned him and you didn't realize how bad it was or it sometimes gets. Now you know. and And thank him for the feedback. And then see. See what he says. If he's a towering dick about something that's really outside of your control when he's had a chance to calm the fuck down, when he's had a chance for the adrenaline to drain out of his system, when he's had a chance to get some sleep, if he's still a dick about it, all right, don't see him again. But if he apologizes, don't hold the reaction he had, the panic, the flight response he had in the middle of the night when you scared the shit out of him and scared him the fuck out of your apartment. Now, something you may or may not know about me is that I can be a bit disorganized, so I knew there was a chance that Terry and I were spending more than we needed to spend on services we'd subscribed to a long time ago and forgotten about, things we wanted once but no longer needed. We got on Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, and by we, I mean Terry because he's the tech-savvy one, he handles the bills, and we, and by we, I mean Terry, we instantly saved $480 a month. And Rocket Money, formerly known as Truebill, got us an $880 one-time refund from our cable company that shall not be named. The app shows you all your subscriptions in one place, and then they cancel for you whatever you don't want anymore. 
Rocket Money can even find subscriptions you didn't know you were paying for. You may even find out you've been double charged for a subscription and get some money back. And it's super easy to cancel a subscription. All you have to do is press cancel and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Get rid of those useless subscriptions that you've forgotten about with Rocket Money now. Go to rocketmoney.com slash savage. Seriously, you could save hundreds per year like we did. That's rocketmoney.com slash savage. Cancel your unnecessary subscriptions right now at rocketmoney.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. Straight guy in my mid-20s calling from Australia. Shortly after moving here, I met a girl from the Netherlands and we hit it off right away. It's honestly been the most intense and loving relationship of my life. So we've been dating in a long-distance monogamous relationship since then. So all good there, but here's my dilemma. In a few weeks, I have a friend visiting me from college from the States. She is also planning on staying with me. For some context here, this friend and I used to casually hook up, but we eventually came to the mutual conclusion that we just made more sense as friends. Since then, we've remained close, even taking trips together, and there's been no sexual tension between us. It's truly just a platonic friendship at this point. For transparency's sake, I decided to tell my girlfriend about our history. And although she wasn't thrilled to learn this, she said she understood and that she would support me in having this friendship. So I was really excited for these two wonderful women in my life to meet, as my girlfriend is planning on visiting while my friend from the States is here. Uh, We even all have tickets to a concert together. Fast forward to yesterday, my girlfriend called me saying that she's feeling a little insecure about my friend visiting and she's uncomfortable with the idea of my friend staying with me. I understand that, and I want to reassure my girlfriend, but now she's saying that she's even rethinking visiting during that time. We don't get to see each other very often because of busy schedules, so I really want her to visit. But at the same time, I'm not willing to sacrifice this relationship with my friend. So I'm just trying to be sensitive of everyone's feelings here, and any tips on how to navigate the situation would be awesome. You don't say how long you've been dating your girlfriend from the Netherlands. And I think that matters. You know, if you've been dating your girlfriend from the Netherlands for a year or six months and she was uncomfortable with this ex of yours coming to stay with you and stay with you while she's also staying with you and played the, well, I'm not going to come card, then uh, I guess it wouldn't be irrational of you to prioritize your girlfriend's semi-long term, you know, relative to the stage of life you're in, your relatively long-term girlfriend's feelings over the feelings of one of your oldest friends. But if your girlfriend's pulling this, uh, your new girlfriend, and you've only been seeing her for, I don't know, some amount of time that you can count in weeks reasonably, 12 weeks, 24 weeks, it seems a lot to ask, especially after you went out of your way to be honest and straight with her and get her okay for your old friend, an old friend that you are not fucking and have traveled with before and not fucked. But of course your girlfriend only has your word to take for that. And of course that's what you would say to make her feel more comfortable. This woman coming to stay with you, whether it was true or not. So maybe what your girlfriend is telling you is she doesn't completely trust you yet. You know, sometimes when people say I'm feeling insecure about what they want is a lot of reassurance. Your girlfriend moved it to never remember if it's DEFCON 1 or DEFCON 5, whatever the right before the nuclear option option is. Your girlfriend kind of moved it to that when she played the well then I'm not coming card. You miss her, you want to see her, and she's telling you you're not going to see her unless you call your old friend and tell her because your girlfriend is feeling insecure and threatened, you can't allow her to stay with you. You can't host her and it's possible your girlfriend, your ex-girlfriend, sorry, was counting on that. You know, when somebody travels, especially somebody young, especially somebody who may be traveling on a budget, when they do a kind of round-the-world trip, money can be tight. And not having to pay for a hotel for a certain amount of time, however much amount of time that might be that she's planning to spend with you, can sometimes be what makes a trip possible. And not having that accommodation, you know, a free place to stay makes the trip impossible. So God, your girlfriend by initially approving this and now yanking her approval has really backed you into a corner where you're going to have to do some damage to one relationship or the other. And as far as I'm concerned, you know, the long-term relationship here, I think the relationship you should be more concerned about preserving is that 
relationship with your ex-girlfriend, one of your oldest friends, someone you've had a connection with for a very long time over the feelings of girlfriend who may be feeling insecure, maybe having a moment. I think you should circle back to her and say, look, I can't disinvite my ex-girlfriend. And we're more friends. We've been friends for a lot longer than we were together. So we're more just friends now than ex-anythings, current friends, not ex-romantic partners. And you should meet her. And I think what you should tell your girlfriend is, you know, this woman and how you feel about her and how you relate to her is this scary unknown. And this woman is going to be in your apartment with you if she doesn't come. But if she comes and she sees you together, that will provide her with the reassurance that she needs. And she will be able to see with her own eyes that you're, you and your ex aren't fucking and that you're not trying to engineer a threesome and you are friends with your ex and your ex is no threat to your girlfriend or to your relationship. And she's going to have to pull the bandage off at some point, you know, if not this trip, then some other trip. Cause you're not, you know, if she doesn't come, you're not going to not host your friend and you're not going to never see her again once she leaves Australia. So eventually these two women who are both very important to you are going to have to meet. Why not now? Hey, Dan, men in my 30s living in the West Coast, I've kind of gotten a few massages where the therapist will initiate playing around, and we do. And I'm finding myself kind of enjoying that more than going out or spending hours on the apps. And at times I'll look and think, oh, wow, this guy's good looking. I wonder if he'll fool around. And I'll book a massage, and then they will. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. That was fun. Anyway, I feel like something's wrong with that, that I shouldn't be doing it doesn't happen all the time, but I would say 90% of the time. One thing that bothers me is after we're done fooling around, they'll say something like, oh, you're bad. And I'm thinking, I'm bad. You're the one providing a service. What the hell? Or they'll do, they'll tease and they'll get me erect and everything. But then when I kind of return the gesture by either grabbing them or rubbing them, they're like, oh, I don't do that. I'm thinking, you didn't drape me. You're wearing no shirt. You're in your underwear and you don't do that. Like, what the hell? Anyway, I'm trying to figure out, is this just a fun little thing that I could do or am I crossing the line and could be morally unacceptable? There's nothing morally unacceptable about what you're doing. There's nothing bad about what you're doing. And the, I don't want to say massage therapist because the massage therapists get upset when you say that people who are giving hand jobs are massage therapists or doing massage therapy. So let's just call them erotic body workers. The erotic body workers that you're seeing who are jacking you off at the end of your sessions, giving you that happy ending, they don't think you're doing anything bad. When a, somebody says, oh, you're bad, they don't, in that context, with that inflection, oh, you're bad, they don't mean you're bad. They don't mean you're doing something wrong. They mean you're a fun, sexy, good time. It's not a criticism. It's a compliment. And that you took it as a criticism, what that tells me is that on some level, you feel conflicted about what you're doing here. And obviously, that's why you called. You feel conflicted about what you're doing here. And at that moment, or at some moment during these sessions or after these sessions, it seems like you want to apportion responsibility or blame, which is why you're parsing what, oh, you're bad might have meant. And it didn't mean what you seem to assume it had to mean which was you were doing something wrong. I'm not doing something wrong. You're doing something wrong. No, 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 no. Nobody is doing something wrong. Well, except you. You are doing something wrong. There is a line that you are crossing. When you book a session with an erotic body worker, the understanding is that they will be touching you, not that you will be touching them. If you are allowed to touch them, that is something the body worker will make clear during the session, or you should ask, not, as you describe your actions in those moments, grab. Don't grab. That's not okay. Even if it's an erotic body worker, even if that person has your dick in their hand, it is not okay for you to grab that person. Even if that person is in their underpants and has no shirt on, it is not okay for you to grab them. That is a line for most people doing erotic body work. They do the touching. They do not get touched themselves. If they were comfortable getting touched, they would maybe be doing 
escorting services. Maybe they're also doing escorting services and they are comfortable being touched, but they would like to be asked. The fact that you didn't ask prompted some guys who were doing erotic body work for you to not let you touch them, even if they might've been comfortable had you asked or booked a different kind of session with you touching them. I know a lot of guys who've done erotic body work and this boundary was important to them. This line was important to them that they did the touching. They didn't get touched themselves. They didn't mind being looked at, didn't mind being objectified. They were the hot guy giving a massage, but they weren't getting touched, that there were some things that they were holding back that were off limits. This kind of not massage therapy, this kind of body work is a kind of sex work, but not everybody doing particular kinds of sex work are comfortable with all different types or permutations of sex work. And you have to, if you want to feel like you're not doing anything morally unacceptable, you need to show some respect for the guys who are providing you with this service that you enjoy by respecting not just their stated boundaries, but they're very clearly implied, implied by doing this kind of sex work as opposed to other kinds of sex work. They're very clearly implied boundaries, which is during a session like this, the touch goes one way. He touches you, you don't touch them. All right, this is the part of the show where we read listener tweets before we listen to listener response calls. And yeah, we're still reading the tweets for the moment. Daniel Summers tweets, since I hate stupid, pointless dating rules, and they talk about one of them on the Savage Lovecast this week, I want to note that I met my husband on the rebound, and we've been together 19 years. Rebound couples, I know there are more of you out there than just Daniel and his husband and me and my husband. Speak up, rebounders, in long-term relationships. There are people getting dumped every day because they're dating someone who just got out of an LTR, and that person who just got out of an LTR believes that rebound relationships never work out because that is what they've heard. That person hasn't heard enough from people in long-term, quote-unquote, rebound relationships that worked out. So rebounders, do better, speak up. Spring Cooper tweets to the first-timer headed to the leather play party. Many parties have mentors available to talk to before and or support you at the event ask the organizers. It's a good point. People who organize sex parties, play parties, they want people to come, which means they want people to feel safe, comfortable, and welcome. A play party, whether or not, where people don't feel safe or comfortable or welcome isn't going to be a well-attended play party and therefore isn't going to be a successful one. So reach out to those organizers. They're usually happy to help. And finally, Ginger Brat tweets, the opening of this week's Savage Lovecast made me ball, and now you're making me laugh my ass off, Dan. Oh, the emotional roller coaster of being a Magnum sub. Thank you, Ginger, and thank you for being a Magnum sub. All right, if you want me to read your tweet on an upcoming episode of the Savage Lovecast, be sure to use the Savage Lovecast hashtag. And a big thank you to everybody out there who posted to social media about the Lovecast this week really helps spread the word about the show. And we appreciate you guys for doing that so much. All right. Listener response calls. Hi, this is for the caller in episode 839, whose swinging partners keep having boner problems. Your husband can actually help you in these situations. When this happens to me, my husband will find a natural break in his play and say something to the other woman like, hey, let's just give these two some one-on-one -on -one time. This can take away a lot of performance anxiety that may be related to having another guy in the room. If your husband's willing to take a momentary time out, he can encourage his play partner to have a brief FFM experience with you that may be the added excitement her partner needs. If it's a repeat partner that this keeps happening with, before play starts, my husband will find an innocuous excuse to take the other guy aside and say, hey, if you want a little insurance policy, here's something that'll help, and then gives him a Cialis. It takes a little extra awareness and effort on your husband's part, but if he cares about your enjoyment and his continued enjoyment in swinging, it's a small price to pay. Hi, Dan. This is a response call to your really awesome conversation with Inanna Justice um, in your last episode of the Savage Lovecast. I'm also a professional sex worker, and I think one of the reasons there's not so many professional male doms is 
men who see a female dom don't have to be scared about their safety the same way that a woman seeing a um a stranger for sex work has to be more nervous about their safety especially if that stranger is a man i i agree more people who are buying their sex are men but there's definitely women who are paying for sex because i see them all the time hey dan calling in response to your conversation about the underutilization of sex workers by women. I actually had my first experience with transactional intimacy a few years ago when I was laser focused on my career and really didn't have time to pour the necessary energy into dating and developing a sexual relationship with someone. I wanted to have a nice vacation and wanted the companionship and intimacy of another or a man in my case. And so I went onto a sugar website, found a gorgeous international model with graduate level educational training and flew this person across the world to meet me for a weekend in Las Vegas. We spent the weekend going amazing dinners and shows and having phenomenally nourishing sex. And it was through that experience that I was introduced to some of the more adventurous and non-traditional sexual practices that I now deeply enjoy. And so began my journey into my sexual prime. So for women out there who have been socialized to defer to men and to close themselves off to the idea of uh, transactional sexual experiences, I think it's time to smash the patriarchy and take ownership of that and ask for what you want. Life's too short not to. And we're going to leave it there. Got a question for next week's Lovecast or something to say about something I said on this week's Lovecast? Use the Voice Memo app on your phone to record your question or your comment and email it to us at voicemail at savagelovecast.com or you can call us at 206 302 2064, or you can go to savage.love right now and record your question there. Hanukkah, Christmas, Kwanzaa all coming up. The Magnum Savage Lovecast makes a great gift, as do GGG mugs, Savage Love t shirts, and Fuck First mugs. Tech Savvy at Risk Youth, they love taking orders and they are standing by now, ready to take yours at savage.love. Hump submissions due by December 9th. Go to humpfilmfest.com slash submit for all the info you need on getting your dirty little masterpiece into my dirty little film festival. And no, it is not too late to start on your film. Follow me on Twitter at Fake Dan Savage. Follow Evan Urquhart on Twitter at E underscore URQ. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at Risk Youth and Nancy. We'll all be back at you next week for another installment of the Savage Lovecast. 